Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 274, and today we are talking about books being released on August 25th, 2020, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Patricia Elsie Tuttle, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello! Hello! It's that time again. It is that time again. I'm pretty excited. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think much has happened since last week or since the last time we talked. It's the usual, like, get up, read books, it's hot out. Cats annoy me. The cats are cute to make up for it. The cats annoy me again. Go to bed. Start it all over again. It's like it's like the same thing every day, you know, so. Yeah, we're having all kinds of excitement in California. Last Sunday, we had some freak lightning storms, which started the state being on fire. So fire season started earlier. But then at the same time, it's been really hot. So PG&E has been shutting off power every once in a while. And I already don't have air conditioning, but then I can't open the windows because it smells like smoke and there's like ash falling from the sky. So it's the end of days here in California. It's this whole year is the end of days. (laughs) The whole year is the end of days. Which reminds me, you know, I think it's been a few weeks since I've said this. So I just want to say this to everyone out there listening. Like, you're doing a good job. There's no precedent for what is going on. And you're doing a good job. Absolutely. And sometimes you need someone else to say that to you, but just hang in there because it's tough. (laughs) Yeah. And also, however you're feeling, everyone else is feeling that way too. Like, I know I show up on my Zoom meetings at work and I look put together, but I am not. I am not put together. No one's, no one's put together right now. And everyone is just trying to stay afloat. Yep. So I appreciate everyone out there. I was watching this episode of Scrubs. I don't particularly like Scrubs, yet I can't stop watching it. Um, And I was watching, and I'm like, way, I'm in season eight. There's only nine. And uh, there was this episode with a preacher who was like, now go out there. I love you all, whether you want me to or not. And I just, I liked that. Uh, So yeah, so that's what that reminds me of. All of you. And I also love books, which we're going to talk about today. After... A word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing. You'll only cross these blades once in a page-turning new tale of revenge strategy and so many lies. Best-selling Red Tower Books is releasing its next year's will read that will capture your imagination and keep you guessing until the end. May Corlin's Five Broken Blades tells an intricate high-stakes tale of five total strangers united in a plot that will test their strength, wits, and courage. Each has their reasons, all have secrets. But while it's easy to portray a stranger, it's not so simple to stab a friend or a lover, okay, in the back. Now these five blades must choose between vengeance and one another. 
Pick up five Broken Blades by Mae Corlin for a thrilling, adventurous tale filled with risk, romance, adventure, and oh, so many lies. The relationships in it are complex and nuanced and involve everything from friends to enemies, found in biological family and lovers and more. Thanks again to Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publishers of the smash hit Fourth Wing for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into the light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Inez Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. Okay. So now let's get down to it. I read this book, I think last year. I think it's been that long. And it's so good. I've been waiting to tell you about it. It's called Winter Counts by David Heska Wandley Wyden. This is Native American noir, which is a great, fantastic genre that I hope that there is more of soon. It's such a good book. And I'm hoping there's more uh, in this series, if it is going to be a series. I think so. It's about a guy named Virgil Wounded Horse. He lives on the Rosebud Indian Reservation in South Dakota. Virgil is, to put it nicely, sort of the reservation's unofficial enforcer. You could say vigilante. Basically, if you need justice, if that is such a thing, if that actually exists in the world, you would call Virgil. Because the way that the laws work Sometimes the U.S. government doesn't get involved with things that take place on the reservation, and sometimes the police on the reservation don't get involved with situations that take place on the reservation, and therefore you would call Virgil. So, like, if somebody does something bad and he doesn't get in trouble for it, Virgil will go and break his kneecaps. But he's, like, he's kind of a charming guy. He's an interesting character. He's a recovering alcoholic. He's been sort of atoning for his past. Uh, He's done a lot of terrible things. He lost his girlfriend because of his drinking. And now he is sober and he's taking care of his nephew, who is his sister's son. She died of an overdose. And so now he's watching his nephew, who's now a teenager. So in the beginning of the book, Virgil gets word that there are heroin dealers on the reservation, which is something that has never happened before. He knows that like people smoke weed, you know, and occasionally do a little, like, speed, but he's never heard of heroin. And all of a sudden, he finds out that his nephew, who is a teenager, has gotten involved, like, wrapped up in in the dangerous nonsense that this is causing on the reservation. And so he wants to put an end to it quickly. And he hears that this, like, really shady character from the reservation is wrapped up in it. And then his ex-girlfriend shows up, and she wants to help him because she's worried about the people there. Uh, And so they travel to Denver to try and track down this criminal 
from the Rosebud Reservation, and they find out that it is this whole thing is more far-reaching and insidious and dangerous than he had anticipated, and people from all over are involved in it. It's very, it's very well and steadily plotted. I liked Virgil. Um, I like a wisecracking vigilante, even sometimes when there is a little bit of violence involved. Uh, I like, you know, the characters that decide, like, what's right and what's legal. You know, and sometimes you do what's right over what's legal. Um, he reminds me a little bit of Dex from Stumptown. She's more of a detective, but he, he's kind of a detective in this. Uh, and she's she always chooses to do, like, what's right over what's legal. And there's also a lot of information in this book I was not aware of, like, the deals that there are between Native people and the U.S. government and, like, dealing with, like, laws. And like I was saying before, like, sometimes the U.S. government doesn't take care of cases that ha- that happened on the reservation. The reservation has their own policing. Uh, it was It was very interesting. And like I said, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a second one based on the way that this ended. So it is called Winter Counts. And it is by David Heska Wanbley Wyden. For my first pick, I have Spellbound by Bishok Sum. I think I would describe this graphic novel as a slice of life. I think of it as nonfiction with fuzzy edges. I want to give some content warnings for parental death of both parents and also a bunch of microaggressions throughout the book for various reasons. The author, Bishak Sam, is a trans woman. Back in 2012, years before she transitioned, she quit her job in architecture to commit full-time to drawing her graphic novel. Her comics feature a cisgender Bengali-American woman named Anjali as her surrogate because the stories she told were very personal and this is a memoir. Anjali represents both the woman that the author is and the woman she imagined she could be. She opens the book with herself, Bishak, talking a bit about herself and then introducing Anjali, and then we get to dive into Anjali's story. I love the artwork in this book, and there's something a little retro about it, and also the color palette is gorgeous. But I think the most beautiful thing about this book is that because the author started it in the way she did, It's not only a story and a memoir, but it's like a conversation with herself and her memories. She is Bengali-American, but was born in Ethiopia and spent some of her childhood there. Her family had moved there from India several years before she was born. While she was still young, they moved to New York, again because of her father's job, and then it's a lot of stories about life and growing up, having immigrated to the U.S. as a child, silly middle school stories and high school crushes, and also early on discovering her love of drawing. It's a mixture of flashbacks and then the present time of Anjali having quit her job in architecture and then working on her graphic novel. Some of the flashbacks are a bit difficult to read as she details her mother's diagnosis of Alzheimer's and what life was like during that, and then moving her parents back to India from New York where they could afford more care, and then also be around more family there, and then her mother's eventual passing and her father's depression and passing very shortly after. There's also plenty of awkward romance and awkward friendship interactions and awkward parties and some very drunk, very bad decisions. At its heart, it's a story about letting go of everything you know and casting off into the unknown and eventually finding yourself there. 
This was Spellbound by Bishak Sum. Okay. Uh, my next pick is a novel that I have been waiting for for so long. It is going to be one of my favorite books of the year for sure. It is The Great Offshore Grounds by Vanessa Veselka. In 2011, I read her novel Zazen and it just knocked my brain socks off. I was obsessed with this book. I even met her at the faded trip where I, I think I've mentioned on the show a couple times uh, where I went to BEA and I got my tooth knocked out on the bus on the way down. Um, and I went to a party that night and talked to her, even though I was horrified that I was missing my front tooth. And she was just so interesting. And I'm so in love with Zazen. And this book, I've been waiting, 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 waiting. But, you know, the authors, they don't owe us anything. They can take as long as they want to write things. But it's here. And I'm so excited. And it's so good. It is sort of a road trip story about two estranged sisters, Cheyenne and, and Livy, and they hit the road to see their father, who is about to get married. They think they're going to be claiming an inheritance. Cheyenne has been living with Livy since her marriage ended and has kind of worn out her welcome. They're half-sisters. They hadn't talked for many years, and then Cheyenne shows up, and she needs a place to stay, and now she's kind of getting on Livy's nerves. Livy is worried that, you know, she's taking away from from her dreams, she's trying, Livy's trying to save up because she wants to go live in Alaska. Uh, and so this money would really help her. So together they set off to claim their inheritance, but instead find out that there is no money and they receive more family drama in its place. Cheyenne and Livy are poor. They have lived in poverty. Uh, they have different mothers and their father gives them information about one of their mothers and so they kind of split up and end up on different journeys themselves it's sort of it's i don't mean this in any like bad way but it's kind of a meandering novel it's a road trip novel so i mean it's, it's a little meandering it's very meaty it's a novel about america and family and poverty but it doesn't go like a to b it's more like Hey, which also sounds like a plot for a book by the Fonz, but you know what I'm saying. It goes from one place to another and kind of wanders, and it's so great because Veselka spins so many examples of the hits we take in life and human resilience and, you know, the good in people and the bad in people. It's just this beautiful, engrossing novel that is worth the time that you will spend with it, and I loved it so much. It is The Great Offshore Grounds by Vanessa Veselka. So for my next pick, I have Sitting Pretty, The View from My Ordinary Resilient Disabled Body by Rebecca Tausig. I loved this book. Also, it made me endlessly angry at what disabled people have to deal with daily. I was already angry about it, but then this book taught me so much more to be angry about. I'm basically Bruce Banner, always angry. But really, I feel like this book is required reading. Rebecca Tausig tells very personal stories and through them teaches readers so much about her experience as a person who uses a wheelchair and about ableism and how ableism punishes all of us. She really lays bare how awful people are. She breaks down a lot of really crap behavior in films and television, such as when a character with a disability has that dream sequence where they suddenly don't have that disability anymore. And the audacious assumption that all people with disabilities would be happier without them, or that they would do anything to get rid of them, even evil things. And I'm looking at you, Detective Pikachu. Anyway, she also tears into inspiration porn. 
like the promposals of the captain of the football team asking the disabled girl in class to prom and using disabled people as props for videos for likes and clicks because, quote, everyone wants to see the heartwarming videos of these heroic people being so heroically kind. And I'm, I'm just so mad, everyone. <laughs> Um, but the rest of that chapter is also absolute fire as well. Kindness is complicated, and she really made me take a step back and think about acts of kindness and when they are actually selfish acts versus when they are something someone actually needs. She gives an example of seeing a person using a wheelchair trying to reach a napkin from a pile of napkins on a high counter. The world doesn't need the sort of kindness of another person handing them a single napkin all the time. What we need is someone who will move the whole pile of napkins to a place where they're accessible to everyone all the time. One chapter utterly rearranged my worldview, and I am thankful for it. Rebecca talks about how she was around a group of women, and they were talking about experiences that I have definitely talked about myself. And saying that all women experience these things, such as catcalling or being told to smile. But Rebecca hadn't. Because what? Because she's less of a woman? Because the assumption that a person in a wheelchair has no reason to smile? This is not Rebecca saying all women deserve to be harassed. But she is saying that we really need to think about all women when we start to assume things about all women. In another chapter I really appreciated, she talks about the capitalist equation that hours plus production plus wages equal value, but when you're disabled, your production amount might be different. The hours you can work might be different. The wages you're getting paid are likely to be different, which in a capitalist society means you are valued less. It also made me think of this in terms of essential workers, many of whom get paid less than those of us who have the privilege of working from home and how people are treating them right now during this pandemic and in the U.S. in general. This book was a phenomenal read. Again, I feel like it's required reading. It's Sitting Pretty, The View from My Ordinary Resilient Disabled Body by Rebecca Tausig. Okay. So we were discussing this before the show, Patricia. You and I both read several more books that were coming out today that just didn't work for us for one reason or another or had terrible endings. I DNF'd. At least three books. Oh, yeah. We, I think we both read a book that made us so mad at the end. And so I decided to talk about two books that came out in the past couple of weeks uh, for my last two picks because I read them after they came out and I loved them so much. The first one is The Comeback by Ella Berman, which is now the new Today Show book club pick, I believe. And I thought this book was fantastic. It's about a young woman named Grace Turner. She's in her early 20s. Uh, she is a very famous actress. She's the ingenue of a well-respected director. Uh, she's recently married, and she has an amazing house, a giant house in Venice, and she buys her parents everything that they need. They have their own home. Um, she's nominated for all these awards, but she also has a drug problem and is experiencing some sort of she just she had to get away like she just walks away from her life like literally walks away from her life doesn't tell anybody where she's going and moves in with her parents in their home in Anaheim 
And now at the beginning of the book, she's been living there for a year. She and her parents are kind of estranged because she began her career as in her early teens and did not spend much time with her parents after that. Like her parents were kind of pushed out by the director who was taking care of her. And she became dependent upon tutors and other people. And she, her parents basically just lived in this house that she bought for them. And she rarely saw them anymore. So they don't even really know her. But she's just been hiding out at their house. And after a while, like after like a year, she realizes like she can't continue to stay here. So she returns to her home where her husband is. She hasn't even talked to her husband. He hasn't seen her in a year. Obviously, he's not thrilled like with what happened. He's seeing someone else now who's living in the house. So she decides to find a new place to live. Before that happens, a reporter shows up at the door and says, I would like to talk to you about the director, who is, like I said, the, the one like, who's pretty much responsible for her career. And she kicks the reporter out because she doesn't want to talk about it because there's some trauma there that she has been keeping in and she's not ready to discuss it. And it sort of follows Grace's career. And as when she was young, like, it talks about like how... This director found her and how he sort of shaped her and she became dependent on him and then how that turned to abuse. And this is a novel of the Me Too movement. It's one of the best novels of the Me Too movement that I have read. I was completely transfixed by the description of her career, like how she went from being like this teenager in England to like one of the most respected actresses, like how much work went into like shaping her image. And like she's known for not using technology. She doesn't have, you know, a Twitter account or an Instagram account. And she's sort of mysterious. And also like the descriptions of, of the trauma that, you know, she goes through. You know, obviously a trigger warning if, if you're sensitive to that that kind of discussion. Uh, it's just, it's it seemed very real and it was very well done. Uh, and I just, I felt for this woman when I was reading this book and I thought it was excellent. Um, so that is The Comeback by Ella Berman. And now we're going to hear from our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes 
that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Okay, what do you have for us next? Next, I have a book that is out today, the 25th, Don't Tell Me to Relax, Emotional Resilience in the Age of Rage, Feels, and Freakouts by Ralph De La Rosa. This is nonfiction, which I just noticed all my picks today are nonfiction. And it's time for my favorite nonfiction game, Take What's Best and Leave the Rest. There are some super helpful things in this book and a few things I would like to leave between the pages. So, fair warning. Ralph De La Rosa LCSW is a psychotherapist and a meditation instructor. Because of how he looks, he benefits from both male privilege and white privilege, and I get the sense that a lot of this book is actually talking more to his demographic than to mine. Kind of like Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility, but I actually don't recommend that book. But this book has some good stuff worth reading and learning. Some content warnings for drug abuse, child abuse, emotional abuse, and alcohol abuse. Also, a content warning that he's going to ask you to think about your feelings. And personally, I like to be warned if that's going to be expected of me. The general idea of this book is to talk about and give readers tools to rein in all the feelings we're having right now. The anger, the helplessness, the rage, the sadness. And do all that through meditative practices and in turn build connection so that we can all continue to fight for justice and equity. Big goals, this book. It's not about growing thick skin, though. It's actually about connecting with yourself and your own emotions in order to connect with others and grow compassion. This book is heavily informed by internal family systems, IFS, which is a way to like a way to think about being with your emotions as opposed to being in your emotions. One of the things I really appreciate about this book is looking at emotions as a defense, that is a protection. Like, I'm angry, what is this anger protecting me from? And being curious about my own emotions. Where are they coming from and what is their purpose? Like, what what is this feeling trying to do when I'm having it? This whole book is written in two alternating ways. There are sections with theory, philosophy, and science. And then there are sections with actual practices that are informed by the preceding theoretical chapters. This results in a book that can be read a few different ways. You can just go through and read all the theory and philosophy, or you can be in it just for the practices, or you can also just look at chapter headings and open right to the section that you feel you need at the moment. It's super flexible like that, and I appreciate that. There are definitely parts of this book that are a little too squishy, like a little too woo for me. But there were also many parts that I deeply, deeply appreciated, not the least of which is having a clear, concise conversation about confirmation bias, as well as the difference between being nice and being kind. 
Oh, and also some practical advice on having hard conversations and calling out someone, as well as what to do when you, the reader, gets called out for your behavior or something you said or something you wrote. The discussion of privilege guilt was also an absolute treasure and worth the price of admission. Again, this was Don't Tell Me to Relax, Emotional Resilience in the Age of Rage, Feels, and Freakouts by Ralph De La Rosa. Okay, my last book. I have all fiction today. So look, we kind of balanced it out. It's like nonfiction, fiction, nonfiction, fiction. It's so exciting. (laughs) Uh, My last one is another novel that came out, uh, I think, last week. It is The New Wilderness by Diane Cook. I'm a huge fan of her story collection that came out a few years ago. And this one was just long listed for the Booker Prize. And it's excellent. It's like a dystopian novel, but not exactly. It's about a woman named B and her husband and her daughter Agnes. It's set a ways in the future, and they live in a very polluted city. But pretty much all of the country is now one big polluted city. And B is worried about her daughter. She's five, and she doesn't think the city is healthy for her, and she's just kind of at a crossroads with what to do with her life. And so she finds out about this project. There is one part of the country left. It's called the Wilderness State, where no people are allowed. It's complete nature, animals, streams, mountains, you know, all the stuff you see in nature, and people are not allowed there. And there are rangers who patrol it to keep people out. And there is this project where she signs herself and her husband and her daughter up to be a part of this study, and they are chosen to be part of it, where 20 people are going to go live in the wilderness state. It's almost like a reality show. It's like the opposite. Of, it's like it's like Survivor almost, but it's almost unheard of at this point, people living in nature. Um, and so they are accepted and they go to be a part of this project. And there are very strict rules about being in the wilderness. Um, you know, you have to carry out what you carry in. Um, you can't leave any trace. You can't stay in any one spot for more than a couple of days. Like you're not supposed to leave any trace of yourself there and there are rangers who sort of police what they're doing who follow along their outposts where like they can get their mail and stuff people are following along at home like watching this like it's you know like Lindbergh crossing the ocean like they're reading about their their journey and what they're doing um, and how the experiment is going and it's so interesting you know some of the rangers really resent the people being there and so they have a hard time with them and because it's like this future where no one really remembers if people can exist in nature anymore. And so, but it's it's also, it's dangerous. Not everyone is going to survive. And as the years go by, because it is, it is years, there is this sort of wedge growing between B and her daughter, because while B is beginning to think like, maybe this wasn't the answer that she was looking for in her life, living out in the wild with bugs and snakes and people you don't particularly care for, her daughter is just taking to it like a duck to water and is becoming more wild and spends a lot more time like growling and making noises as opposed to using her words. Uh, so they're becoming estranged from each other. It's so fascinating. It, I loved this book and I got to listen to her talk about it uh, last week. She did a, a virtual event for a print bookstore and it was even more interesting after hearing her talk about it. It's so cool. And she's writing a screenplay for it. It, I don't know if it's a movie or a show, but she wasn't talking about how she's doing the screenplay now. So that's something to look forward to. It is called The New Wilderness, and it is by Diane Cook. 
for my last pick. I have His Truth is Marching On, John Lewis and the Power of Hope by John Meacham. Full disclosure, yes, this book is out today, but I have not yet finished reading it. I've only gotten through the overture and chapter one, but if you have listened to my last couple of episodes of All the Backlist, then you'll know that I've been talking about the March Trilogy, which are the graphic novels of Congressman John Lewis's leadership and experience in the civil rights movement of last century. Because of that, I really want to mention this book today in case someone is interested in more John Lewis or if you aren't quite the graphic novel type. Also, the author, John Meacham, is a Pulitzer Prize winning historian and recently spoke at the Democratic National Convention, and that may have gotten some people curious about his work. I will note that this book is not a biography of John Lewis though a lot of it is biographical and informed by interviews the author did with Lewis near the end of his life. There are many photos, and I really like that, although some of the photos are definitely, you know, hard to look at. And there are also graphic descriptions of violence and racism and racist violence. This book has quite a theological tone and talks about sainthood in relationship to John Lewis and the importance of religion to that first movement and maybe an argument that it's necessary for the current movement. I don't know. I'm a godless heathen, so big shrugs and side eye from me, but I do look forward to finishing this book at some point. This book, again, is His Truth is Marching On, John Lewis and the Power of Hope by John Meacham. Okay. Those are our new-ish books. What are you going to read next? I'm going to read Disability Visibility, edited by Alice Wong. I just picked it up from the bookstore today, although it came out this year. It came out recently. Yeah, I think it's just like a month or so old. Yeah, I think so. I have that to read, too. I'm going to read Annie and the Wolves by Andromeda Romano-Lax, which is about a historian who is obsessed with Annie Oakley, which sounds pretty cool. Um, I'm willing to try that. And that is it for us today, book lovers. I wish that you could have heard me at the beginning of the show when the cat shut the lights off, but I laughed far too long and and we're going to have to cut that part. Um, But yes, I did not realize one of the cats was in the office while we were recording and she turned the lights off. She just dropped the curtain on you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I thought the power went out and you can even hear me like it's going to get cut out, but like you can even say, oh, the power is out. And then I realized like you're still talking. Um, I can still see my computer. I can see everything, but the lights are out. Uh, she was like, listen, I've had it with this. I want to leave. Let's go. So <laughs> Everybody out. She started singing closing time. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, well, this is all done. We're done. I hate books. I don't read them. I don't care what you have to say. That's basically what she was saying. Yeah, I cackled wildly for a very long time. We're going to have to cut that out. But uh, maybe in like the blooper reel someday, you'll hear me be like, oh, oh the power, the the power's out? Like, uh, that was, yeah. So, like, the highlight of the show, you can't even hear it. But I did want to mention it anyway. Thanks to Malay for pulling that off. And again, thank you to you, our listeners, for joining us each week. Uh, and thank you to our sponsors. And thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink, who will have to remove my wild cackling. If you want to reach us, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. And you can find us online. Patricia hangs out on Twitter and Instagram as the info file. That's P-H-I-L-E. And I mostly hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. I got a new app 
that you can make your photos wavy or like in 3D and stuff. And so I'm obsessed with it. So that's what I've been spending most of my time doing now is like making my cat's fur move in the photos because I have a super exciting life. You can check that out on Instagram. Uh, And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time because Malay has shut it down. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading.